it's calling all beings. And guess what? We going Bigfoot again. <laughs> and guess what? Tonight, he is back. He, he saved me from going and getting an unnecessary surgery today. At least unnecessary for now, but not nothing we really need to talk about. So uh, let me introduce the co-conspirator of this joint who done put it all together. Money Nathan. Yeah, good to see you. You know, that's all part of our healthcare package here at Cab. Uh, you get that counseling yes. advice. It's uh, just a package deal. I appreciate that. I got to remind the prescription card for 2023. Hopefully those are on order. Uh, so, <laughs> and with that, uh, our, our researcher who today uh, made a huge play through her friend Jennifer on the, it's, I think it's called a UFO book club, was able to help us uh, hook up with uh, Jonathan Dover, the, uh, the Navajo Ranger who, who finned to be on later on. Right around when Matt Knapp's going to be on. But uh, with that, uh, how are you? First of all, how are you this evening, Deb? I'm doing great. I already have a question for you, DJ. Are we squashing? Is that the verb for what we're doing? (laughs) You know what? I don't think I'm qualified to answer that, but I think we have two people backstage that are, so we look cool. Because to the Bigfoot community, we want to look cool, right, Nathan? Absolutely. Absolutely. Credibility. Mm -hmm. Cool, right? So... Uh, they they finna answer that. Uh, Miss Julia's in the chat. Our moderator from Alabama by way of Indiana, mm-hmm. and uh, let's let's welcome on our. I'm so happy that this guy came on. He agreed to be our special um, uh, guest co-host for this episode. I've been bragging about him for a couple of weeks. Probably Nathan and my friends are tired of hearing about him. <laughs> he is the host of Bigfoot Crossroads. He is such a dope interviewer. He has great wit. He has a lot of in-the-field knowledge, two decades' worth of research experience in the field on Bigfoot. Put your hands together and don't get in his face, Mr. Matt Knapp. <laughs> Woohoo! Oh, no, please, please. <laughs> Thank What's you up, for brother? inviting me, man. Thanks for letting me come on here with you guys. This is awesome. It's great to have you with us, Matt. Yep. Namaste, brother. This is awesome, man. And uh, so... You know, uh, getting into this topic, and by the way, any of you who are sick of me talking about a foot uh, about Bigfoot, blame this guy right over here because <laughs> it's my Nathan fault. Yeah. is responsible. <laughs> uh, and um, I, I went to, uh, I think it was Bigfoot Eyewitness Radio, Vic Cundiff show, and heard a narrative by this gentleman who was a arson fire investigator in Texas. Um, who had his first Bigfoot encounter and ended up eventually having a first-person Class A experience. Defend to blow your mind. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so party people, put those hands together. Get the Cheeto dust and the nachos off your hands and put them together for Rick Taylor. Thank you, thank Woo! you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Can I get oh, an man. amen in this joint? Amen. Welcome, Rick. Please. Thank you. Uh, um, a pleasure to be here. I Great love, to have you with us. I love sharing, and you'll see it's a passion of mine. Uh, I had many questions when that uh, first what in, the mo- what in the world moment happened, and uh, I, I dove into it with both hands and both feet, and uh, call it luck. Uh, I, I, I've had numerous Class A sightings and interaction, and uh, I'm to the point now uh, where 
it's not a doubt in my mind, folks. These things have intellect, cognitive thinking. They are, as my Cherokee ancestors uh, viewed them, as a tribe or a clan. Shout out to the Cherokee Nation, baby. Oh, yeah. Because he got 5-0% going on. <laughs> uh, but before we get into that, let's answer Deb's question so that, I mean, I know that a goal of you and Matt is that Nathan, Deb, and myself look cool amongst the Bigfoot community. So therefore, uh, should we use the verb squatching or should we remain distant from that verb? You know, squatching is used a lot or squatching. Don't even put the G on it. Squatching. 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 You know, you'll hear it in Kentucky, Texas, uh, even Missouri in most places. If somebody's out squatching, you know what they're doing, you know. Uh, it, it varies the techniques people have. Uh, mine has not been a chase them down, bang on trees, yell and scream. Mine is going into an area of activity and letting them come to you. Let them, let them make the call. Don't try to force them, hurt them or, uh, trap or bait them. Uh, if they, if they even get a inkling that you've got something set up, as a, a trap, they're gone. They're, they're not going to want to mess with anything. Uh, I've had great success with speaking to them and, and showing respect and basically telling them we're here visiting. We're not here to, to do anything else, and we would like to see you. You know, That's so, been my success. You know, so says uh, original gangster Tom Cantrell. The guy who had his first sighting in 58 basically said the exact same thing you just said. But just to let you know uh, what we're going to do here. So we'll go in a pattern, you know, myself and Nathan and Deb and Matt. And we'll just keep going in sort of in a, in a circle like that. Uh, we want to get, you know, the main points of your story. in, And then I want to, like, really hypothesize with, with both of you guys uh, that have been around about, you know, your hypotheses on, on certain aspects of, of Bigfoot and, and the, um, let's just say, uh, the behaviors uh, and, and, and things that they do, why they build things, why they do this, how they do that. I would just love to hear some of that as well. But I don't think we can go anywhere until we hear, you know, first of all, how this first interaction happened to Rick, how he ended up having this life-changing seminal event at Arla Williams' place. So um, so please, if you would, start there. And um, okay. unless anybody, does anybody else have anything before Rick, uh, jumps into that no i think that's a great place to start yeah we have an audience that just may not be as familiar with uh the bigfoot uh you know sort of literature and the the big cases and rick i've heard your story and it's just super compelling and i would love thank for you, you to break it down for us thank you well i as many other people my age <laughs> remember the patterson gimlin film and i remember watching it for the first time uh on abc uh news channel and I remember the hair standing up on the back of my neck watching Patty strut off. It looked very real. Um, freaked me out, as a matter of fact. You know, I, I mean, as many people do when they come to that point of realizing these things exist, it, it's a it's a paradigm shift in your way of thinking. I mean, it it uh, a lot of people can't handle it. But I remember going through in my my you know uh, early adolescent years, uh, uh, interested, but college, uh, girls, 
job, everything, you know, it fell in the rearview mirror. And when I moved to Texas after college, uh, I, I uh, at first aeronautics major in college and uh, yeah. didn't, didn't, you know, the industry was in the toilet and somebody uh, talked me into between uh, several menial jobs uh, to, to get on and put my application in with the fire department. Uh, took uh, six months, uh, all kinds of testing. And out of the 1,800 applicants, I was one of the 60 that was, you know, uh, uh, accepted for their training class for that that, that quarter. Um, in class there, an arson investigator came during some of our training and classroom gave a four-hour module in fire investigations. And it was a light bulb moment. I mean, I said, that's what I want to do. Took me 10 years and two promotions to get into that job. But the last 12 years, I was with Houston Fire Department. Uh, I was there as an arson investor, captain's rank in the arson division. But I moved to Texas, uh, completed my career with uh, uh, the city of Houston, uh, retired and moved uh, into the Dallas area, North Texas. Uh, my son, uh, we had just one son, not by choice. That's how it worked out. Uh, that's how life dealt it uh, to us. Uh, loved fishing more than me. He was about 15 <laughs> years old. Oh, yeah, he he passed me up, but uh, we would go out and spend all night fishing at times, you know, great father and son time. And not far from the house, look, it was 25 miles from downtown Dallas. And and I was told by so-called experts, no, that couldn't be a Bigfoot. You know, it's too close to a major metropolitan area. And I'm sure you've heard those same explanations. But in, in my 20 years of doing this, I found that they do venture into populated areas uh, for nothing more than raiding trash cans, dumpsters. They love landfills. They're an opportunist, you know, and they, you know, smorgasbord of, of garbage uh, is fine with them. Matter of fact, it's probably, you know, a delicacy almost from what they have in the, you know, the natural sense. But we were out there fishing <clears throat> in a remote, heavily wooded, matter of fact, it was Rowlett Creek, and people listening might know where that is, uh, Rowlett Creek uh, in uh, uh, the Garland area. Uh, very thickly wooded, but heavily fished. And we were out there maybe from about 8 o'clock, uh, caught a few throwbacks, had a few bites, Did, weren't, weren't knocking it out, but hardcore fishermen, it was enough to keep us interested. And it was after midnight, <clears throat> I want to say between midnight, one o'clock, uh, had folding chairs right by the creek. It had a sharp drop off right in front of us. I had my pickup backed up with a, a Coleman lantern on, which would light the area. But <clears throat> to bait a hook or something, we had cap lights we could turn on, see real good, turn the cap light off, throw our line out there. And uh, had stink bait on the bottom for catfish, had minnows under a cork throwing lures, basically throwing out any way, anything we could to catch anything. And I started becoming aware there was a little side slough that ran right into the main creek, and I had my pickup parked on that apex. So we had two, two water in front of us and water to our right. Well, I began to notice maybe a crackle of leaves, a brush of a limb, just subtle movement on the on our side of the creek but over the other side of that side slough and i'll estimate maybe 100 150 yards maybe 200 when i became aware of real subtle movement and over time 
I began to notice it was drawing closer. Uh, didn't greatly concern me. You've got armadillo, you've got coyotes, raccoons, you know, for, night foraging animals, uh, none of which, you know, were a threat, maybe a, a mountain lion, which they are. They've been sighted in and around the Dallas area and, and the surrounding counties. At some point, the very distinctive feeling of being watched came over me. Uh, not unsettling, but just made me aware. And I just casually started kind of scanning and panning and looking back at our pickup and the parking area. Uh, my first thought was maybe some night uh, person, homeless person or somebody was just checking us out, you know, and, and, and everything. And I wasn't too concerned because I had a little pocket 380 stuck in my, my uh, fishing shirt pocket being honor, honorably retired. I carry protection, like a set of keys and uh 357 in the truck. If I, you know, felt more threatened, but uh, at least I wouldn't want to get popped by a 380 up close. I mean, it's not your weapon of choice, but I had protection. And so I was aware, but at some point, you know, when you break a branch above the ground, when it snaps, the acoustics are different than a, the branch on the ground being stepped on and breaking. It has a muffled uh, point to that sharp snap. You can tell it's being stepped on rather than being held. And I caught that muffled snap of a pretty good sized branch on across the side slough, which immediately told me it wasn't a light four-legged animal like a coyote or armadillo. Something with weight and mass just snapped, just stepped on a branch over there or, you know, pressed it and it broke under their, their uh, weight. So I kind of looked around that direction where I heard the sound, casually got up, put my pole down, didn't make a big issue of it, went over to my truck and got a Q-beam spotlight. And I turned it on and I started spotting across the side slough. And I would say that brush line was probably from where we were sitting, no less than a, a hundred feet away, you know, pretty good distance. Anything that would have to get to us would have to cross water. So there was a little bit of confidence or, you know, there not to worry, but I was curious. And as I was panning that spotlight back and forth in that thick brush line, now, it wasn't protruding out of the brush, but those gaps between the leaves and the branches and that bright light, it momentarily illuminated a facial shape. I'm not talking about a snout and ears, but a facial shape. And I only caught a glimpse because I was panning at a pretty good speed, and I actually passed it when it registered. There's a face there, you know, and then I snapped the light back. And uh, it wasn't there. I couldn't locate. I don't know if it recessed back or, or whatever, but I only got a brief glimpse. But my son saw me kind of jerk and he turned over there. He goes, Dad, he said, uh, what are you doing? Well, I didn't want to say, man, I think there's something over there. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> you know, I didn't want to spook him up. But I said, oh, I'm, I'm just looking, you know, and I turned the light off pretty quick after that put it back in my truck and acted like, you know, oh, there's nothing. But in my mind, I'm thinking, what did I see over there? You know? So I got, and I sat out in the chair and picked up my pole again. And I'm going to say not more than 10 minutes, probably not less than five. 
uh, I was, you know, I'd occasionally glance over there and, you know, I had my, my hearing attuned to that direction. I heard a, a, a swish, a, a sound, movement sound, and I turned and looked over. Now, you got to understand it was a Coleman lantern. It wasn't a big, bright light. But I saw something coming through the air, arcing up and then down towards us. And it hit the water about five feet in front of us, okay, on that sharp uh, ledge, right? probably five feet away. Uh, wasn't a baseball splash or a rock splash. It was like a 50-pound child doing a cannonball off the high dive. I mean, it wow. was a co-whoosh, you know, big, big splash. And, of course, I'm falling back in my chair and then jumping up, and my son drops his pole, and he latches onto me like a leash screaming, what was that? What was that? And I'm I'm pulling him back, watching these big waves fan out from that impact point. And in my mind, I'm thinking, what was that? You know, I mean, it it scared the daylights out of both of us. And I dropped the pole and, you know, ran over to the truck. Forget the 380. I was grabbing the 357. <laughs> and I got it out of the truck and yelled. I said, that's not funny. I said, if you throw something again, I have a gun. I just may shoot back. You know, I was giving them warning. I wasn't going to go busting caps in the brush or anything. But at the time, I, I thought there was somebody messing with us, you know, for whatever reason. And I was very angry. We were on open public land, minding our own business, not bothering anybody, legally there. And I walked over to that side slough in the area across from where I saw that uh, face. I cocked that uh, revolver single back single action, aimed it down into the mud beside me, not aiming it in the brush or threatening anything, but uh, plug one ear, <laughs> you know, turned away, plug one ear and uh, blew and blasted a round off down into the mud. I mean, a loud boom. Well, the moment that that, that uh, gun went off right on the other side of us, it sounded like a bull elk a big buck deer or a horse or something big bolting off away from us at a pretty good rate of speed. And uh, you could hear it crushing bushes, snapping branches. Uh, it didn't matter the foliage there. It was plowing through it like a baby bulldozer. I mean, very, very uh, uh, stirring to say the least. And it didn't slow down. It, it, it faded off just plowing through that that heavy underbrush. And uh, my jaw was dropped open. I looked over at my son, his jaw was open and he goes, dad, what was that? And I said, I don't know, but let's go. <laughs> you know, I had my first, what in the world was that moment? Uh, I knew it was big. Uh, I don't know. I, I went out the next day looking at distances, David. And I looked at it. I estimated and there's no way uh, any human that I know of could come close to chunking something that big. Was it a cinder block? I don't know. Was it a dirt clod? I don't know. Piece of concrete? It was big. And it lobbed it fairly accurately over, over towards us. If it had hit either one of us, it could have busted us up or maybe even killed us. But uh, I, for a, a time, like anybody else, I would tell that story, you know, and you'd get the nods, you know, and 
you know, people would hear your story and I'd say, man, what could have done that? And, and most people, they don't have an answer for you and they pretty well, well, I don't know, you know, and go ahead. Rick, can I interject on this point? I actually want to get your take on this and Matt, and it's because it's one of the areas that I think all, and it could happen to me if I were out in the forest and this happened or anybody who's out there and has a, you know, even a class B experience is there's a cognitive dissonance when something is thrown at you or multiple things have thrown at you. And you have a pretty good idea that there aren't humans out in the area where you are, what you're doing. What are the species that are capable of picking up something and throwing? Can you, and then Matt, please answer that. I don't know of any animal that has the coordination and the dexterity in their extremities to grip something. Maybe a gorilla could do that, possibly, you know. But gorillas don't commonly dwell in North America. Um, bears have the power to, and I, I think they could lift something, raise it and lift it. But bears' arms or, or legs are, are on joints that, that their, their extremities stick out forward. They don't have the ability to, like our rotating shoulders, uh, to, to actually throw something like that, you know, with the elbow motion we have. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not an uh, uh, expert on anatomy, but I, I played sports all my life, and I don't know of any animal in North America that could pick something up and lob it, you know, arc it over towards <laughs> us. I, I don't, you know. I'm with you. <laughs> Matt? I mean, everything he said. Uh, it takes a thumb. Uh, yes. to grasp something. So once you start getting above pebble size, you're ruling out pretty much everything in this part of the country. Um, anything, let's just say there's some primate uh, rehab places in Texas, at least one that I'm aware of. Let's just say something got out. Uh, primates, as far as we know, the ones that are large enough to throw an object like chimps and gorillas and orangutans and things like that, it's a flinging motion. It's not a high arc. It's not a throw. Uh, and the odds of that, you know, being out in the woods and deciding to fling something at a human, I, it's just not going to happen. Uh, the shoulder aspect is a huge one, in my opinion. Uh, not very many things on this planet have shoulders like we do. And it's that shoulder strength that's used in combination with the arm strength to really throw something. And uh, like Rick, you know, my first experience with these things is very similar to his. Um, the first aha moment I had involved rock throwing, only it was a very tiny rock. And it was something was able to throw these tiny rocks and it, was accurate enough that it landed on the hood of the car that I was leaned up against. The rock bounced off the hood and hit me in the stomach and fell back down on the hood in front of me. I can't pick up a pebble and throw it through the trees. I mean, think about that for a second. You can't. I don't know how that happens. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, rock throwing has always, since day one, stood out to me as like, well, how, how can you write that one off there. It has to be a person or a Bigfoot. And that's what I call the 50, 50 equation, which is usually as far as you can get 
with evidence. So then you start, okay, well, where are the odds that it's a person? And ultimately you end up in a position where the odds are it's got to be a Bigfoot doing it. Yeah. And Rick, I think it's worth noting. I've heard that a lot of the gorillas don't like that fishing spot you had. So that makes it less likely. <laughs> That's I right. Think. I've heard That's that right. they're more like West Texas. They That's like those it. watering holes. That's so. it. That's, you're, you're perfectly correct. <laughs> Before we move on with the story, does Nathan and Debs have anything? And then we'll just move on. If you've, if you've got something. No, please, please continue. This is great. Yep. I uh, kept that under my belt for a while and then didn't talk about it as much, but uh, I want to say a couple of years later, you know, I told the story often, uh, was surfing the web and somehow one of the threads that popped up on Google or wherever I was surfing, uh, it was a story and the, and the caption was uh, fishermen attacked at night. And I went, whoa, let me, you know, let me double click on this and see. And it was over in Possum Kingdom Lake here in Texas. And it led me to the BFRO website. And uh, I started reading it and my jaw dropped. Now there was like three or four fishermen, very similar scenarios, you know, and man, my mind was running Bigfoot, you know, Bigfoot, you know, that type of thing. That's over <laughs> in the, you know, the Pacific Northwest, not, not in Texas, North Texas. And I, over reading and then I went to other different sightings and stuff, I was overwhelmed with the documentation, you know, of sightings in the different areas in Texas and across the U S and, uh, it really had my mind running. So I went ahead and, uh, filled out a report online, uh, to, to, you know, explain what happened where and everything. And I, I, you know, sent it in and I said, fat chance, I'm going to get called back or, you know, contacted. And it was like two or three days later, I get a call. Uh, I didn't take it and it left a voicemail. It was a BFRO investigator and left a phone number and asked me to call him back. He'd like to talk to me. And I, I called him back and uh, I immediately, having come from public safety, law enforcement, I could hear radio traffic in the background. And I said, uh, are you a cop? <laughs> And uh, he happened to be a, a federal officer in a particular agency. And uh, he was in the dispatch. He wasn't, you know, working then, but he was in the dispatch area talking on the phone, which added a lot of credibility. It didn't take me long to, to know this guy really knew what he was talking about. And he said, oh, yeah, we're aware of, of several instances in that waterway of fishermen reporting uh, seeing Bigfoot and stuff. And so... From there, uh, I, I, on my own and with him, I even met him out there. We we did a little bit of research. Uh, a guy, another newbie, and I uh, started doing field research in the area where I had the the, the rock throwing. Uh, we were followed. We were paralleled by something. Uh, found a, a little crude bridge over a, a swamp waterway. And it was like turning a light switch on, folks. I mean, we're in a particular area of the woods, and then all of a sudden, this very pungent, uh, kind of a sickening odor just permeated all around us. I mean, it, it the best way I can describe it is sewer water 
something dead and a wet dog all kind of mixed together, you know, in one foul smell. And it was funny. It came on and then it disappeared pretty, pretty quickly. I mean, kind of shocked us a little bit, but we decided to switch our area. I did a kind of a topography study uh, of the waterway. Uh, It involved Lake Ray Hubbard, Lake Levon, the East Trinity River of which Rowlett Creek is a tributary that runs into it. And I moved over and we started research in another area. And eventually that is where I had my first visual sighting of one. Uh, It was through binoculars during the day. We also had activity over there, had stuff thrown at us, but uh, uh, it was a technique uh, that these researchers showed me when you get to an area face each other, and watch over each other's shoulder, okay? You, you're looking at the guy there, but you're looking over his shoulder to your right. You're covering each other's back, and that's exactly what happened. I was talking to him, but I had binoculars, and uh, what caught my attention, uh, it was down by one of the creek banks over there, and we were looking at some stick structures, a little glint of light. Uh, it, it was a flash of light caught my attention and all the greens and the browns, of the forest. And I, I turned my binoculars over there and I said, it was too late for dew on, on leaves. I said, what reflected like that? You know, it was like a little mirror, you know, just a little flash glint of light. And I was looking right in the area, the bush and the tree where I saw it. And it turned out to be the sweaty forehead of, of not a, a brown, black, uh, normal color of a Bigfoot, he was gray. Of course, you know, he was light gray. I'd uh, settle for white. that right now. Yeah. I'd take some gray. I mean, hey, I don't choosing. care. I don't care about it turning gray as long as it doesn't turn loose, David. <laughs> Thank, yes, yes, uh, yes, so, sir. Well, I've, yes, I've sir. lost some here. But anyway, <laughs> uh, it, he kind of looked like Stephen Steele's, you know, had the big oh. forehead <laughs> and had kind of the gray hair down. That's I'm, I'm serious. It. But he was down in the brush looking right at me. And it was a sweaty forehead that caught my attention. Of course, the guy that I'm looking over the shoulders was, I said, there's one right there. I can see it. And of course, he's turning around. Where? Where? You know, and trying to trying to turn and move that direction. And I was trying to move closer. Have you ever tried walking in the woods, looking through binoculars? not watching where your feet are stepping. It doesn't work, folks. I, <laughs> I hit a log and almost face planted. You know, I had to do some some quick movements to keep from crushing my face. And once I got my balance back and got the binoculars back up, the bush was swaying and the big guy was was gone. He, he saw his opportunity to leave. And uh, that was my first sighting at, at a distance, 150 yards through binoculars. But uh, that... In and of itself, I thought once I had the my sighting, everybody would believe they exist. Not so. Didn't you know. <laughs> Not so. I really people, did, though. <laughs> you know, a, um, I hear people's wives, like, you know, someone they love and are married to, and they say, look, I had an, an encounter tonight. And you're like, yeah, sure you did. But uh, I went, Julie has a question for you guys, uh, whomever. Rick, take this. And, if, and also, Matt, if you want to weigh in this. Ask him about spiral vine. Is that Sasquatchy? So I think, you, uh, Jules, are you talking about a forest structure that you've seen, spiral vine? 
I think is that does that ring a bell with you guys or no? Well, I've seen a lot of stuff twisted and braided up. If okay. if that's what you're talking about, they they uh, they seem to do that. I don't know if it's just casual, you know, something they just like doing. Uh, I do know they like to braid horses' manes. Uh, uh, a man that I attend church with, I mentioned it one time. I said, you know, he mentioned he had horses. And I said, uh, have you ever found your horse's manes braided? He kind of looked at me and said, man, I, I never looked. I never noticed. I said, well, you got horses. And he was near a game preserve or a nature preserve behind his, his property. Guess what? Next next week at church, the guy brings a picture of a braid of his braided horse's mane. And it wasn't a week or two later, uh, he took a picture of a big, uh, uh, <laughs> whatever it was, set in the snow and it melted in the form of their butt cheeks, you know, back oh, there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He brought I, I me that I, picture with, with, a, with, a, with, with a foot impression in the back of his property there. So they apparently were coming in there. But, it, you know, stuff like that, folks, people with no reason to lie, you know, telling you things that they say, look, I don't care what people say. I saw what I saw. And in my early information gathering uh, with, you know, my first career interviewing or custodial interrogation was a part of my job. Uh, I'm pretty good at at getting one on one with somebody, mano a mano. And my my success on whether they're fabricating or actually recalling what they experience can run up close to 90 percent. Now, it's got to be in a very con controlled unintrusive, no distractions environment, but I would throw that on people sometimes and not, not in an interrogation form in a casual, you know, conversation, but I could tell this person was not lying to me, you know, and they had no reason or personal gain to be telling their story. That's what convinced me more than even my first visual sightings. There's something to this man. You know, these people are not a cadre of liars, you know, that are, that, that have kind of formed a, <laughs> a union or a bond. You know, when you talk to one person from one end of the country, telling you minute details on another end of the country, things that wouldn't matter or make any difference. And they tell you these minute details that are exactly the same. There's something to it. It's called cooperation, you know? And, uh, yeah, I, th it, I think there's a pretty good cadre of witnesses in like 49 states plus Canada. So. Absolutely. Uh, North America. Now, I, yeah. I don't know if too many come from Mexico. I've heard of a few mm -hmm. uh, stories out of Mexico, but North America, you know, from uh, U.S. up, you know, is is full of all that. But uh, I, as many other people, David, believe they were an undiscovered primate, highly elusive undiscovered primate in my initial, you know, uh, uh, information gathering, uh, didn't go much to my native American, uh, lineage and blood till later. Uh, my grandmother was full blood Cherokee. My grandfather was mixed blood Cherokee. Uh, I, I, I took after the Scots, Irish, Dutch, and German, and I'm, I'm proud of all of it. It's who I am. I can't be anybody but me, but the native people, when you study and gather information, their perspective of these subjects, in most cases, are very different than, than the European 
you know, lineage Americans. Uh, the, it's not a big deal with these people. And Arla uh, Williams, who you mentioned, is yes. is has native descent, and and that's where my epiphany actually occurred in my whole way of thinking about these these subjects changed by an extraordinary chain of events. Uh, I I was. Uh, I heard, and I'd talked to Arla, and, and some of what she told me, David and, and the other folks, it sounded too incredible. I mean, you know, people would call it a woo factor, and uh, I found a lot of very serious researchers without formal forensic training, education, and experience uh, form very strict boundaries as to what these subjects are and what they're not, and if it doesn't meet that expectation bias it's thrown out and right. i'll tell you it's not that's not the scientific method you consider all possibilities very very uh critically and closely but uh, sadly in this line you've got a lot of people no that's not it it was just like me told very by very so-called experts no you didn't see a but you know that wasn't a bigfoot <laughs> experience too close to the to the dallas area well, what what you know empirical knowledge do you have that you can base that opinion and statement on 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 scientific facts? You know, it's it's just an opinion, an expectation bias. If it doesn't fit their preconceived ideas, they they throw it out. I'm sorry I got on that soapbox, folks, but no, uh, it's, it's, you, it's true. You got to consider all possibilities. Well, I had thought that they were a you know, like I said, an undiscovered primate that can be baited, tricked, and everything. And I, I told Arla, I asked her, I said, can I pay? It was a drum make Native American uh, drum making workshop. There were probably 25 or 30 people there on her land, you know, that, that were attending. I told her, I said, I wasn't interested in making drums, but could I come up and hang out and kind of, you know, lurk around your property? Because she had it'd been reported she had a ton of big fat bigfoot activity there and so for i want to say three two um, I, rem, I i get lost on the time frame i don't know if it was a four day long weekend or three three to four days up there uh i lurked around snuck around with a, a gen one uh night vision scope and i had a little rca small wonder camcorder that i could hold over the eyepiece of that Gen 1 scope, and I could actually record the video, you know, through the eyepiece. And then, of course, the camcorder had a, you know, a mic to it. So I could get audio and video night vision. And, uh, of course, I sent you that one clip, David, of the uh, the one <laughs> voice. You need earphones to hear it. But uh, I, will, I will. I I didn't have a chance yet today to listen. Okay. And by That's, the way, Rick, I'm disappointed that you didn't make the drums and research. I feel like you should have <laughs> dual rolled on this one. I feel like you should have left there with a Cherokee drum. I really do. But anyway, well, I yeah, I shortchanged them there. But <laughs> I for for several days, I got led around with a few knocks, a few whoops, you know, and I like a chicken with my head cut off. They they were having fun with me, but not doing much. And I got, I got discouraged, upset. I remember it was turning dark. I had driven my truck down a remote uh, access road. There was nobody around. Okay. That was private property. 
she's surrounded by people that if they catch you on their property, you stand a good chance of getting shot. If you don't belong there, uh, you're going to be dealt with, you know, and it could be swift and, and hard, fast and furious. So it wouldn't be the place a casual prankster or somebody is just going to be passing through. It's hard to get in there in the first place. So I was on one of the roads there, access roads. Unfortunately, all the neighbors knew we were all there with Arla. So that wasn't a problem. But I was sitting on my tailgate and I got that feeling of being watched again. Okay. And I was, I was, I was, like I said, discouraged. And I said, look, now if somebody had walked up, they saw me talking to the trees, you know, but <laughs> I, you know, I said, look, all I want is a close-up view. I want to see you up close. That's all. That's all. I just, I just want to see you up close. I'm not here to hurt you. Just let me see you up close. And one of the guys there, he called me on the radio. He said, I'm making my way down, you know, the, the law, the, the road. And he said, I'll be there in a second. And he came up. He said, did you know you were being watched? I said, well, I kind of felt like he said, yeah, I saw him moving north through the woods away from you. He said, I didn't get a good look, but they were moving away, but they had been close to you on your, your right north side, you know, as you were sitting on the back of your truck. So, you know, went in, had, we ate, had, had stuff, uh, went to bed, uh, in my camper shell. And, uh, the next day, Early that day, some ladies had had a sighting on a lunch break. They weren't there for Bigfoot, but they were down there. They'd ate lunch and went down by this creek, sat on some rock ledge, and and come back gushing that they saw this this figure peeking around the tree at them. And and she caught a she caught a, a, a little old phone picture of it. Hey, I was I was torqued, folks. I was mad. I've been up there for three days and didn't see anything. And these ladies that were up there, not even there for Bigfoot, it wasn't fair. They saw one, you know. And so I was pretty well kind of bummed out about that. But I did have them take me back to that area. And I was, at the time, all I could see, I'm holding this RCA small wonder with a little one-by-one -one LED screen in the sunlight with a little uh, monocular on the front. It was a jury rig uh, telephoto, but I could put them both in my front shirt pocket. Uh, I did get one. Uh, I didn't send you the, the the video of that, but at the time I just saw movement. It was later studying my videos that I said, "Wow, I actually got one." You know, so. But that that uh, night, uh, my as as was my uh, uh, modus operandi is I would leave the the fireside Native American functions. And I would go into the woods. Arla had uh, a clear cut, what, maybe 30, 40 acres, and then was surrounded by thick woods. I would go into the woods one direction. I would stop. I would, I would be totally still. I would pan and scan with my Gen 1 to make sure I wasn't being followed because I kind of had a little skeptic, skeptic, anyways, a skeptic that I might be pranked with, you know, that somebody might, you know, just, play with me, people, you know, uh, and uh, it was just in the back of my mind. I was skeptical over that. And I wouldn't want to make sure that I wasn't followed. Well, I went into the woods on the south side of her property and I made my way around towards the east, stopping, panning and scanning and seeing if I was being followed. And uh, 
no, nothing, you know, nobody was there. I got into a very uh, tactical position where Arla said they may come out of the woods and watch the fireside service. So I was flanking that <clears throat> position and I was going to try to get video if one came out of the, uh, out of the woods, <clears throat> excuse me. So I never saw Arla leave the group. Of course, I wasn't really watching the group that much. But at some point, I see this figure coming out of the woods, you know, and I began videoing and everything. And, and I, oh, yeah, I'm going to get one. And all of a sudden, I, wait a minute, it's out in the clear now, and they're not going anywhere but towards me. And I'm kind of puzzled, and I'm watching and saying, who is this? I quit videoing, and I look through the, the scope and get a better look. It was Arla. And I'm thinking, when did she go over there? I didn't see her leave the, the group. And uh, instead of heading back towards there, now you look, it was almost pitch, well, two-thirds moon, but under that canopy, it was dark. Uh, she didn't go back to the group. She she made a beeline towards me. And I stood up out of the brush when she got, you know, a half dozen steps away. And I said, Arla, how did you know I was here? She goes, they told me you were here. And, you know, my mind is still doubting. I'm saying, well, that's pretty good, you know, that she found me. But the next statement blew me away. She said, do you want to go see them? Okay. The night before, I'm telling them with nobody else around, I want to see you. And then the next night, somebody that wasn't there, didn't know what I said, asked me the question, do you want to go see them? Wow, so there's what? a correlation there. <laughs> exactly. You know, my investigative law enforcement mind knew the chances of that are not impossible, nor is it impossible to get hit by a meteorite, you know, or a comet, <laughs> but it's not likely, you know. I mean, that blew me away when she said that. And I said, sure, you know, my mind's still trying to digest, wow, if this is a prank, they're pretty good at this. So uh, we went by the uh, we went by the uh, group and uh, walked back up to the north side of her property, and it was uh, uh, I want to say uh, ten about a six foot fence, five to six foot fence, uh, game fence, wooden. The clear cut was about ten feet out from the fence. And I leaned on it, and Arla started calling these subjects by name, okay? And it sounded real to me. I could hear it coming up out of the creek bottom from due east, at least one, maybe a couple. And then I began to hear the same thing coming from our northeast coming up out of the creek bottom. And then to our southeast, even more footfalls. And it's in the thick Oklahoma brush. It's pitch dark. I don't see any flashlights. And I'm thinking, you know, if these people are pranking with me, they're pretty good. You know, it sounds real and big to me. And they made their way towards us from three different directions. And I would estimate pause in the thick foliage about 10 feet back. They didn't come out. They didn't break cover. But all this moved up. It sounded very real. And Arla had told me, don't take any pictures, don't put anything up to your face, and don't use a flashlight. And I, you know, I said, okay. But at that point, I asked her, I said, 
can can I use my night vision? I want to I want to kind of get a look at what's behind that brush back there. And uh, she said, "Yeah, go ahead." Now I had just used this scope, folks. It was nearly brand new, and I could not get that scope to come on. Okay, and I'm fiddling with the batteries and the switch and everything. I tried it two times, and I looked over at Arla and I said, "It's not working, man. I don't know what happened to it." And she just kind of smiled and she goes, "Try it now." <laughs> Click right on. Okay. Wow. My first thought was, whoa, is this woman a witch or something or what? You know, <laughs> I mean, it was freaking me out. That really knocked me out of my comfort zone because I'm thinking, how could anybody, uh, unless they had some kind of uh, fantastic EMF, you know, uh, how could they affect this night vision? It was working fine. And of course, I couldn't see anything through the thick brush. You know, I, I panned and couldn't see anything. Even tried the IR illuminator and saw more leaves and branches. Nothing, you know. I could. It wasn't an X. It wasn't an X-ray machine. They were back there, but I couldn't see them. So I turned it off. I put it back in its holster, and uh, I said, "Well, I can't see anything." She said, "Well, do you want to go inside now?" And I'm going to be brutally honest with you, folks. Uh, I don't do vulnerable very well. Uh, what What was back there sounded big. And I'm, I wasn't sure exactly what it was. Uh, if she'd have been a man, I mean, you know, a man, I'd have probably said, no, I'm good. Yeah, Hell I'm good. <laughs> but exactly. But look, and, and I'm not a male chauvinist, but my testosterone pride would not let me wimp out in front of a woman. Okay. I couldn't say no. You know, she was, hey, you want to go inside? Uh, and I did a meet. Yes. <laughs> How do I say yes without saying it? like as least forcefully as possible? Exactly, yes. exactly. And we we walked what? Speak through the, we walked through the gate and then went back about fifty yards to a a clear cut trail, very narrow. I mean, on both sides there was brush, maybe chest to to, to you know shoulder high and maybe even higher. And of course, a big canopy of trees. When we turned east into that trail out of that two-thirds moon, I couldn't see but hardly see the back of her head. And I I invaded her personal space. I got right on her <laughs> six o'clock because I didn't want to I didn't want to separate from her. I mean, I was right there on her six o'clock looking at the back of her head. And I was hearing stuff moving on both sides of us. And I didn't have the bravery to look over at all. I mean, I just, I looked at the back <laughs> of her head and, and we went in there maybe a hundred yards, turned to the left, went probably another 30 yards into a clear cut. I want to say maybe 10 to 15 yards circular clear cut. And the, the moon shone through the gap in the canopy right there. That meeting place was, lit with a two-thirds moon couple of chairs there she had some gifting stuff and i could hear stuff moving all around us and i was right next to her you know and i'm thinking man you know no distance no distance at all she's her friend their friend and i'm gonna be right there you know and something i would have never expected wasn't i had maybe heard of mind speak 
but it was as clear as I'm talking to you. Now, people said, was it English? It's really hard to describe. It's an experience-based uh, thing. You know, it's hard to put into words, but I heard it clearly in my, my head. Now, you got to understand, retired law enforcement, I had a 45 tucked away on me, and nobody would have ever seen it or known it was there. But in my head, the words said, why are you carrying a gun? And I'm looking around <laughs> going, Rick, you're losing it. You're hearing voices in your head. You know, I mean, I, it was freaking me out. And I just, I, I was, I was becoming very overwhelmed emotionally, folks, very profound, strong and emotional. And it was, it was really being hard for me to fully digest this. That voice turned the emphasis up about 10 times more and said, why are you carrying a gun? And on that second questioning, I knew immediately they were talking to me. Okay. And they wanted to know. They wanted an answer. And I don't know how I knew how to answer them. It Could it be a, a primal instinct or ability we've had in the past as tribal people? The Scots were very tribal, you know, all over the world. You know, we, we had family groups, clans and stuff. We weren't so, you know, civilized. And I don't know how, but I knew how to answer them. And I said, uh, it's a tool of protection that I've carried on my job. I've carried it around my close friends and family. I've never hurt them with it, and I will not hurt you now. That's that was my answer. And immediately the voice said, step away from Arla. Oh, <laughs> it's like, you know, like step away from the car, you know, or <laughs> drop it. I, I I felt at that point something was going to happen. And and that, I, I that's can't... what my my mind speaking about. You must be crazy. I'm not well, letting yeah. you go this woman's shirt. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but they said, step away from Arla. And I looked over at her and I said, they're telling me to move away from you. She didn't act shocked or surprised. She just warmly smiled, looking at me and said, well, do what they're telling you to do. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, it didn't concern her at all. I want to say probably that was one of the hardest things in my life to do. I turned away from her and I walked back to where that trail, you know, intersected the main trail in. And I thought, well, if, and I was doing some praying under my breath too, folks. Uh, I thought, man, if, if they're going to, if they're going to whack me, it's going to be here because they're getting me away from their buddy. You know, they don't, they don't like me or whatever, but I looked to my right, the direction we came in. And then I looked to my left further down the trail in, you know, deeper into the woods and it was like orchestrated. Ed Sullivan, way back there, and I know I'm dating myself, would step out from behind the curtain into the spotlight, you know, at the <laughs> beginning of his shows. This 12-foot alpha male, he was a monster. He was 12 foot. Mm. Stepped out from behind one of those big trees right into a beam of moonlight that shone right there. It was almost like it was orchestrated. Stepped into the moonlight. I could see him very clearly looking at me from about 50 feet away, and he was doing this. He was doing this side sway. I don't, I, to this day, I can't tell you I, I know what the significance is. I don't, but 
Arla said, well, can, can you see? Go ahead. Clearly, it's something from a breakdance competition because mm-hmm. yeah, know, one yeah. person's on one side. That's yeah, how you, yeah, how you get started, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. maybe he was wanting to dance. I don't probably, know. but Probably. Arla said, can you see him? I said, yeah, he's down there on the trail and he's swaying. She said, sway with him. <laughs> so that's what that's. That's what I did. I matched, uh, you know, I matched his movements back and forth. And the moment I matched that, I could hear crackling and snapping right off the trail to my right. And this subject comes up out of the brush. I don't remember looking up or down. He was around six foot, but he was broad shouldered. I'd I'd say the, the big alpha male was every bit of 900 pounds. This subject that come out, and he had a, a defined muscle chest. Uh, I'd say, you know, three to four hundred pounds, just super. He'd make a fullback, you know, all pro fullback, and take on the whole football team, you know. But <laughs> he he was looking at me, and his jaw dropped open, his eyes widened, and then he looked back at the big alpha male, and then he'd look back at me, he'd look back at him. And look back at me, you know, I don't know if it was like dad, you know, which I think it was. I think that was big daddy. But then on the trail, not coming up out of the brush, a female stepped into another beam of moonlight. Obviously, she didn't have the muscle chest. She had breasts. It was no doubt in my mind. She was female. And both of them were about six foot tall. At that point, it dawned on me as a parent, I wasn't a grandparent then, but as a parent, Big Daddy was allowing his young to get a good look at me. And I immediately, as a parent, recognized that was a show of trust, knowing I was armed, you know, that they let their young get up close to me, and my apprehension for a time blew out the window. I started laughing. And it was a, you know, it was an experience. Well, behind the young female, another subject, not so much in the light, but about eight foot, which I may think were was mom. Don't know to this day because I couldn't get a good look. She was behind her. They were behind the young female on the trail. Then the wild card came in that I wasn't expecting. You know, it's very intense when you're this close to them. They were allowing me to get a good look at them, exactly like what I asked for the night before. And then down, not where the moonlight could really hit, I see this movement in front of that young female standing there looking at me, never smelt a bad smell. They were not aggressive. They held their position politely, in in my opinion, very politely, letting me get a good look. I see this little head bobbling around, a toddler you know, about three feet in front of that young female. And all of a sudden I notice its little head turns around, looks back up at me and then starts coming at me with its arms raised. I like to have lost it, folks. I mean, I, (laughs) you know, being close to these things is super intense, but the thought of a little hairy one latching on to you, you know, I don't know to this day what I would have done if that child had got to me. I'd have probably, I don't know. I I can't tell you. My fear was the little one doesn't know who I actually am. And if it cried out in fear, I'd be afraid Big Daddy would come tear me apart, you know, just rip me apart. That was a part I didn't know. This little one don't know who I am. 
but it was running at me, wanting me to pick it up, just like a toddler would do, you know, toddling towards me quickly. And fortunately, that young female lunged forward and got, got the, the little one by, you know, up under one arm and pulled her back to her. At that point, I looked it over at Arla and I said, let's go. I'm through. <laughs> you know, don't let the little one get me. You know, right. I mean, I just, that was the wild, you know, horse in it. And uh, as we were leaving, uh, I saw that big alpha male cock his head back and start giving the best barred owl calls you've ever heard. I mean, it was authentic, except it sounded like they were coming out of four JBL woofers. I mean, it was the resonance shook the forest. And uh, I sent you that that video, uh, David, yes. uh, that has the, the owl call. It, the recording doesn't do it justice, but if you compare uh, those last two calls from that other uh, researcher, they did a pretty good barred alcohol. They're not even close to what what the other the other calls. There's a big difference in them, and uh, I've seen them do that. I've heard them before uh, give out about barred alcohol. I've been with people. Oh, that's just a barred alcohol. I sit on the ground. <laughs> you know, right, right. Up the trail right there. They land on the trail and start. No, they're eight pound bird up in the top of the trees. They don't. The only time they go to the ground is to, to you know, get prey. They're not going to sit there and call uh, from the ground. You know, I said, you we're don't not, go ahead. We're, we're not supposed to see this stuff. So, you know, people are going to try to punch holes in your story. Oh, yeah. But one of the things and what I want to do now is I want to. I want to take about the next 30 minutes and I want to get questions from the guys and gals here to you and, and, uh, and, and, you know, Matt chime in with, with whatever, uh, you know, part of it that, that resonates with you. And, you know, I've learned this from the, the, the UFO community, and I think it's going to serve me very well now that I'm also proudly part of the Bigfoot community is that um, I don't have to prove anything to you out there who's doubting what I say or thinking I'm full of crap or telling me I have to bring back video or photos, I'm saying, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't have to bring you anything. I don't care what you think or if you believe it. I want to go out and have an experience and research it for myself. And, and it serves me well because then nobody in the UFO community thinks, oh, you can't prove it. I don't have to prove it. I don't have to prove anything to you nor do I have to prove anything to the Bigfoot community. And with that, I want to pass it to Nathan, and then we'll go to Debs and Matt, and let's start firing away some questions at these Bigfoot experts, in my uh, opinion. Rick, uh, you're so gracious to share your story with us, and it's, a, it's an incredibly compelling story. Uh, and one thing that comes to mind for me just hearing it is the, the way it's obviously impacted your life and it shifted your understanding of, of reality. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that. So what kind of person were you before this encounter? And, and what are you, what kind of person are you now? How has it changed your outlook on the world and your relationships with people and nature? I, I want you to get a little philosophical on us here. I was uh, an outdoorsman. I have been all my life. Uh, I probably had the opinion, if anything was out there, I should have seen it, you know? before I had my, you know, experiences, but these, these subjects are extremely uh, elusive. They use cover and concealment to perfection. Uh, 
brief side peaks, and then you won't see them. If you didn't know where to look, you wouldn't see them. But what it's opened up is I thought I I thought I knew everything that dwelt out in the woods. Um, but over the last going on well twenty years uh, or, or more, uh, I've I found out I don't know everything that, that dwells out there, and I'm very careful about adding other things that I've seen and document out there that aren't Bigfoot, you know, that I, uh, I won't go into here. I won't broaden it to that, but I've reached a point where absolutely nothing surprises me. I mean, no matter how incredible uh, people's stories are. Now, my older brother who passed away from cancer, uh, I sat down with him <clears throat> And he went over a very detailed abduction where he was messing with a strobe light on some lights in the sky. And they followed him back to his house up in Oregon, Northern Oregon. And he was actually abducted. And it would be an incredible story for anybody to believe, but it was coming from my brother who I knew very well. You know, um, I have documented I guess people would call them grays, you know, the little, little bubble headed, little arm, big eye things in my Bigfoot research that I don't share with a lot of people because they're going, oh, brother, you got Bigfoot. Now you're doing, <laughs> you know, you're adding a whole, but I'm telling you, I've documented. I don't know what they are. I don't know what their intentions are, but the bottom line is this. I'm, I'm very cautious. When I go out there, it's not Disneyland. You know, what injured and killed settlers 100 years ago in the woods is still out there. And people have to understand that it's not sterile out there. There are things that can and will hurt you if you're careless or not observant. So probably my biggest thing is sharing my Bigfoot information, but also look, folks, be safe out there. You know, travel in pairs or at least somebody let somebody know where you're going to be. Now I've done, you know, individual stuff and, and some strange things happened to me uh, that I don't have time to go here, but I'm very observant and, and I'm a bit cautious about uh, going out by myself now, if that makes sense. No, it does. Thank you so much. Absolutely not happening. Going out in the, in the woods by myself anymore. That was for my teenage years. Uh, but yeah. And just think of it this way, Rick, we will do, you know, we'll do a part two with you, but we want to be able to get with what you told us so far. So, Rich, there's quite a bit there. So let's get Debs and then we'll get Matt in there, please. Yeah, I just have to say I'm so jealous about the toddler. I would have cuddled the toddler. <laughs> so, Come here. I, I know. I would have. And I would have been like, you're going to be okay. It's so cute. But, um, anywho, so I think that one of my questions is why it, the Bigfoot are attracted to certain people and their property and then stay there when they form that attachment, um, like Arla and um, other people that we've spoken to, like Robin, why do they attach to them? Why do they um, basically like caravan around that property from then on? They're they're very curious, okay, and they have intellect and cognitive thinking. Uh, respect goes a long, long way, and and good intentions. If you're there to to market them. 
to you know uh, share and 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 everything. They know from from my somebody said once you're marked by them, they'll all know you. Okay, I, I'm I don't know about that, but I know I've been had success in Texas, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Georgia, uh, uh, Montana, where where they've gone out of their way, and Kentucky. Oh, I bet, love Kentucky. Uh, gone out of their they way, <laughs> you know, gone out of their way to make contact with me. And one of their favorites is, look, folks, when I get finished squatching at night, uh, I get in a camper shell because I don't want to be pushed through the tent and woke up by a big hairy guy. I want, I want a little, you know, a little security and, and separation. But the last time I was in Kentucky here three weeks ago, they were tapping on my truck, <laughs> you know, tap, 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 wow. tap, tap, tap. And I think there were younger ones just wanting to, to interact banter with you. Uh, they're interested in you. They like to interact with you. And I think fear is one of the biggest things uh, that people encounter. And it's hard. I understand. I, I know why I felt that first time, but uh, I was up there with uh, Charlie Raymond and his lovely wife, Lindsay, with the KBRO here three weeks ago. Great person, great venues. If you ever get a chance, uh, they're, they're top shelf. They're entertaining, good people attend. Uh, Charlie saw I shine on a, a trail there and I, I got off the you know off the trail towards I shine and saw a side peeker. I was watching him in my thermal, and I said, "Lindsay, I said, come up here." And I've got it all on audio too with my matching uh, thermal. And she comes up and I said, "You got your flare?" She said, "Yeah." I said, "Told her where to look." I said, "Do you see him?" She goes, "Yeah, yeah, peeking out from around the tree right there." I said, "Yep." I said, "You stay there and I'll get closer," and which I did, but I had to look down with my thermal. And I said, okay, now let me watch them and you get closer. Well, that didn't happen. <laughs> Lindsay did not want to, did you know, and I didn't make a big issue of it, but I can understand people, they're a little overwhelmed. With me, uh, I've never felt threatened yet. Uh, really haven't. Uh, I, I've had a blast, folks. Uh, I've been out with, I've been out with newbies and uh, I was in Kentucky uh, uh, two years ago with Charlie again. And, uh, uh, we were way out in the middle of nowhere and I got the feeling of being watched and I, I can kind of, I don't know what, I don't why, but I, I know where to look. I can feel them. Okay. Does that make sense? I know something's over there, you know, and I got up and I walked over there by this, uh, there was about a hundred yard field to the river. And then there was a little side Creek to the, to our East, to our right. And I'm standing there for a while, and there was about a half dozen people around the campfire, and one of the newbies got up, could barely see me, you know, but the fire, you know, I had enough light clothes, he knew where I was. He walked over there, he said, Rick, what are you doing? I said, I'm watching the big guy. He goes, really? I said, yeah, he's down there in the trees. Now, you understand, there was a lot of leaves and branches, so that horizontal figure wasn't a clear Bigfoot shape, but I could see it was horizontal and moving around down down in the brush, and occasionally I could see the shoulders and the head. Uh, could it have been an NBA basketball player out there in the middle of nowhere sure. without without clothes on, without a flashlight? Sure, it wasn't impossible, but was it likely? I don't think so, you know. So I told him where to look. I handed him my flare scope. I said, hey, he's down there, look. And 
I do. I go, do you see him? And he goes, yeah, yeah. I can see his head and shoulders. He's peeking around a tree. Folks, that made my night. That made my trip showing a newbie they exist and letting them have that empirical knowledge, David, of seeing it for themselves. There's awesome. nothing like it. It's great. So that made my day. And he still talks about that. Yeah. But while we be- were... Go I'm ahead. going to be planning my trip out with you so that I can, have, so <laughs> I, I can be that newbie, but well, we've, yeah. we've got, we've got about a little over 15 minutes left. So I want to get Matt in there. I want to get some more, some more, cause I have questions for you. So we got it. We got oh, questions, good. brother. Go we ahead. Some, oh, let's do I it. I want you to think you're on semi auto and you're going to be. All right. Got it. Okay. All right, Short ahead, burst. Matt. Short burst. That's, that's it. The mind speak stuff. Uh, I, I have to use my time wisely. <laughs> How, was that the only time you've experienced that? No, no. I was out with the BFRO uh, group. Uh, they were doing some wood knocking stuff. I was just observing. And and the voice came to me. I have young with me and I do not know who these people are. You was know, it, they, it, it was a female that had young with her. And you could hear some movement. She wasn't at all wanting to interact with this group. Not at all. So whenever you experience that, is it uh, the same voice that you're hearing? It's the same. Oh, man. Uh, not uh, your tone and stuff. No, it's okay. it, it is hard to put into words. It's very clear. but And it's just as clear as what I'm talking here. But it's more in a. Uh, not a random thought. It's hard. It's hard to explain. Yes, it's very distinct and and very similar each time. You know. I've uh, had, go ahead. Pre- previously in your life, had you ever experienced any psychic uh, abilities or anything like that? The closest thing to that, very similar. I was cave diving. Uh, a buddy of mine got trapped. He could not get out of the cave area. I eventually had to leave him and go for help. He, he didn't make it. He drowned. Um, it's called Jacob's Well. I don't know if you've heard any yeah, stories about yeah, it. Wim- out of Wimberley. Uh, and as I was coming out, I got trapped. I got lost. We didn't have guide ropes. I went down the, fa- I went up the false chimney. Uh, a presence was chasing me is the best way I can describe it. And when I hit that dead end, um, the, the, the words very similar to what I've heard from these Bigfoot experiences said, I've got your buddy and now I'm going to get you. And, okay. and very similar. Was it a spirit of the well? I don't know. You know, was it death talking to me? I don't know that either. But uh, uh, fortunately, uh, I, I, well, I answered, you know, yeah, I guess I did. I answered within my inner being. No, not until all the energy's gone. You're not getting me that easy. No, <laughs> you know, point. and it, vertigo was set in. I ex- exhaled bubbles. I went the opposite direction, got in the main shaft. And uh, uh, there I, I knew I had to get out. And I just said, Jesus, help me. Uh, I said it three times. And on the third, Jesus, help me. I felt a guide rope get into my, it wasn't my guide rope. Somebody else had put a guide rope wow. in there. Call it coincidence. No, I, I don't think so. I, I, I consider myself a spiritual man, mm-hmm. but not a religious man. I do not like religion. It judges, it puts people down. It's, 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 it's not what the, the creator intended, but uh, yeah, you know, 
and, uh, and I've, Nathan has a master's in in religion and has done a, a deep dive and gone on a roller coaster. So I'm sure it's that's why he's nodding his head right now. Uh, what you're saying, yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah, I, I, I want to uh, ask Matt a question. Then I have a question for Rick and then I'm going to pass it to Nathan. Matt, um, because you've also spent, um, you know, a couple of decades out there in the woods with the, with the, with the big guys, as Rick affectionately calls them, uh, the the do the eyes emit light in, in your estimation from what you've seen? Oh, man. <laughs> so here's the thing. Uh <laughs> My answer is no. However, I have heard from very reliable people that they have witnessed it. Now, I wasn't there, and my analytical mind's like, okay, well, if you can see at night, there is a light source somewhere. It may not be, a, it may might be starlight. It, you know, it might be moonlight. Who knows? Ambient light from a nearby town, but there's light. Otherwise you would not be able to see anything. Right. So to say that, well, there was no light source to be reflected back. I mean, I don't know, but I've actually heard people say that, no, this was different. I never believed in it before, but these eyes were actually glowing. Now that starts, you know, bringing in all the questions. Okay. Well, if you're, if the eyes can uh, produce light, how does it keep from blinding them? How do how are they able to see through eyes that are producing light? It should, you know, flood out the eyeball and they wouldn't be able to see. So, I mean, that just starts going into those whole gray areas where you start getting in the paranormal. More questions than answers, uh, just like with the mind speak stuff. Mm -hmm. If you can talk telepathically, why are you out there yelling and shouting and screaming and doing bar owl calls and talking and <laughs> you know, ancient dialect, you don't need to talk. You can just use your mind. So why do it? I, I, nobody knows. Uh, I don't know if everyone can receive just like, you know, I watched 28 days haunted and they have these brilliant, very courageous mediums that are interacting with these, trying to drive these spirits out of the houses. I don't know that everybody has either has the ability or has cultivated the ability to do that. And I would think the same for Bigfoot. I think that perhaps, uh, some people can hear that mind speak. And then there's other meatheads out there that are like me in the woods and I'm not going to hear a thing. So I don't, you know, but, it, it um, might be a range thing, you know, it, it, yeah, it could it be. can only reach out so far. And if you're trying to communicate to the entire group that's spread out over the course of a mile or so at a, a time, maybe the mind speak thing doesn't work. I, I don't know. Yeah. Could be, a, dis question, question could be a distance thing. Could yeah. be, is it a distance? Yeah. Could be a distance thing, close proximity, but further away, they can't do that. You know, the knocks and the howls serve their purpose because these Rick, things were right on top of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Rick, my question for you is how much do you feel like your Native American heritage has um, helped uh, or affected in any way, positively or negatively, your interactions with them. Do you think that's been a force multiplier for you? I think so. Uh, I think uh, in Kentucky, especially with that that newbie, uh, we heard movement on the side, and I've always wanted. I'm not fluent. My grandmother was fluent. You know, my aunt and uncles were fluent. Uh, I probably my Cherokee probably a slanted English accent to it, but uh, I. I Actually, that night when the, the guy was there and we had stirring, 
uh, I looked over at the, the movement and I said, Gata Uste, Dejito. I was asking him, what is your name in Cherokee? And nothing. And I asked it again. I went, Gata Uste, Dejito. And on that second question from that movement on the side, I got a bullfrog deep voice that went, Claw, which is no in Cherokee. No, I'm not going to tell you my name. So I did get a response. And that's that's one of my passions is to speak more and try to interact with them in the spoken word. Because Kentucky, Cherokees were there for thousands of years before the European settlers came in and they got pushed out. You know, uh, Andrew, Andrew Jackson said, you know what? We're going to pass the Indian Removal Act and for it's for your own good. But by the way, 5,000 of you are going to die along the way. Yeah. When, <laughs> the I, government. Studied, when I, I studied that in school, it was hard not to cry reading it. It's just Absolutely. You shake your head. And, and when people are not sensitive to that, particularly on like Columbus Day and stuff, and they're not sensitive to why people called Indigenous Peoples Day, it's just because you're an idiot and you haven't read history and you don't understand what happened. Ignorant. You can't connect with the, yeah. that it wasn't your people. Uh, Nathan, please go ahead, sir. Well, I want to ask about, uh, I'm not sure how exactly to phrase this, but the there's a lot of, um, the UFO subject has these same sort of spectrum of issues, right? There's a, there's a craft spectrum, and then there's the more paranormal aspects. And uh, all of these things, if you kind of take a big picture view, seem to really hint at something that is much deeper. And Rick, you talked about, you know, your spiritual uh, approach to things. And I, I wondered, what is your sense of, uh, if you had to say there is one, wh- where is this going? You know, is, uh, is this leading to an expanded awareness for human humans in our civilization, understanding that we're not alone? There's a lot more happening in reality. Reality as we know it is not, you know, what we thought it was. Where, where do you think this is headed? You know, th- th- there is a purpose, you know, in, in end game, which I, I can't wrap my mind around. Uh, from the spiritual aspect, I, I think they're a hybrid human, okay? A mixture of, if, if you read the Bible and, and you know, Genesis 6 uh, talks about that, the Nephilim. Uh, I think they've been here since the beginning of man and the beginning of time. Uh, you hear the uh, English history and, and legends talking about ogres and trolls. Uh, Gilgamesh in the Sumerian, you know, uh, accounts, uh, Greek Titans, uh, you can go over and over, even your Eastern Indian, you know, have the same thing. I think these subjects have been, uh, existing beside man for forever. And I really don't know what the end game is with them. Now I've, I've had some people say they're demonic, don't have anything to do with them. Uh, but I've spoken with two different people saved from certain death by the benevolent acts of these subjects. And Native American uh, history also has accounts where these things came unsolicited, unasked for, and aided people in a time of of dire straits. That's benevolent. That's not, in my opinion, an inherently evil subject. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to end up, but I know that these things are there. Uh, whether you believe it or not. And probably my biggest heartfelt sympathy is for somebody that's an ardent skeptic that one day inadvertently one runs into one of these subjects right. in the woods, 
they are not the same, man. I mean, they have issues between their ears over the PTSD. It's it's a very emotional and devastating experience for them. They're there. <laughs> Debs. Yeah, so I know that you alluded to the fact that you've run into some other things, and I'm also fascinated by some of those other things, like the little people, also yep. known as fairies, goblins, hobgoblins. There's about 500 names. And all of these are pretty international. Um, so I was just wondering if you had um, run into some of those. Uh, Atoka, Oklahoma. Uh, about 2011 or 2012, I'd have to look at my videos. Uh, we had a homestead area land that had been in the family for several generations. Grandma used to watch what they called the boogers, pick wild pears or plums. I can't remember. It was a wild fruit across the, the street from the homestead building. Uh, not a big deal. They knew they were there. Um, we were out there near an artesian well that had native hit native and settler history had been there for hunt. Well, more than a hundred years, but it's discovered. Uh, the big guys came into that area and I was there with a, a, uh, uh, active, uh, police officer and a college professor whose family owned and had been on that land. And he had actually through his flair saw this large figure down there tree peaking. Uh, I got, my gen one uh, night vision trying to get a good look at it. And all I got was this luminescence. Uh, it didn't show up in the gen three. We had a, a generation three scope and I think some of the filtering, you know, knocked that out. But with the gen one, you could see actual luminescence from the eyes in the IR spectrum, you know, uh, got that on video. But then I saw these other little flashes of light. I thought they were fireflies, you know, or something, another luminescent, you know, uh, living thing. And, uh, later going through my videos, there were three of these bubble headed alien looking things on the video. I was keying in on the big tall subject behind the tree, but these other subjects were in front of them. Were they running with them? I don't know. That was in, like I said, 2012, in 2019 or 2020, I was in the uh, Davy Crockett National Forest in, uh, uh, let's see, Minnesota? Yeah, is it Minnesota? Yeah, Minnesota. Got the same thing on FLIR. Two different times, hundreds of miles apart, in and amongst Bigfoot activity. And they look the same, you know, in the thermal. Don't know. I don't know what the connection is. They run together, though. All right, this is uh Matt Matt will get our last question and then um and then we will we will rock on with uh we have to plan a, a part two with you, Mr. Taylor, because uh, Absolutely there's more stuff that we got to get into. So let's <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Knapp. Yeah, well I'm gonna ask a question that I like to ask on my show sometimes. Uh what is your end goal with all of this? What 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 are you what are you looking to accomplish whenever it's all said and done with? I wrote <clears throat> one book. It's actually a booklet of my early experiences. It's on Amazon. If you Google Richard Taylor Bigfoot, it'll take you to the links. It will I'm be in, in the show notes, just to let you know. We'll have it in there. I 
I quit trying to prove it. One time I thought, yeah, I get the evidence and prove to the world they exist. I don't think that's meant to be. I really don't. I've seen good people with very good evidence get crucified, you know, by the general public and the scientific community. I don't think the world's ready as a whole to, to accept this, although there are a substantial amount of Americans that say, yeah, absolutely, they exist. You know, I haven't seen one, but I believe they exist. I just enjoy sharing on shows like this with people. Uh, uh, nothing better than for me to go out there, out in the field, away from all of the, the, the internet and the skeptics and everything, and be out there one-on-one -on -one with a newbie and, and watch the expression on her face turning to me with wide eyes saying, there's something out there. <laughs> Makes my day, folks. Makes my day. You know, case closed. They they saw it or experienced it for themselves. Nothing That's like it. it. That's it, man. Nothing like not it. not going to prove it to the naysayers. Uh, let's start nah. with our cabbie goodbyes. Um, let's start with... Uh, Matt, now, well, let's start with Deb so that he, Matt knows where, where we're going. Go ahead. Thank you. It was an honor for you to share your story with us. I hope we get to talk more. I'm definitely fascinated by all these things, experiences and your knowledge. And I hope that I, too, get to see a toddler yes. one day. Good deal. You, you said you didn't want to go in the woods, Deb. You have to go in the woods. For the no, backyard. I have a small backyard. The toddler could be here. <laughs> <laughs> Rick, can you arrange for them to come to Baltimore? <laughs> She's well, so adorable. I, I would like sometime. There's some areas. Well, let me tell you this. There's a an Oklahoma. No, I can't think of the name right now. I'm getting a senior moment. But there's an area up there that's a hotbed. And, and there are people that take expeditions up there. They're not a real large group of people. But people there have a great... Uh, I can get you the links to it and everything. Uh, uh, Kayamichi Mountain. Yes. Uh, Kayamichi Mountain uh, excursion or expeditions or something like that. I know the, I know the people personally. And uh, uh, I was up there. I told you about the story of, of the guy gathering the, the thrown objects and everything. Got up uh, out of his chair and was walking to pick this stuff up and said, can't you guys throw this any closer so I don't have to get up? <laughs> I heard the thump and looked down. They put a quarter-sized rock in his chair. <laughs> I love I mean, that. Yeah, Rick told me that one yesterday. <laughs> um, yeah, and the Kayamichi, I think that oh, yeah. the gentleman was on your show, right, Matt? Uh, David Wilbanks. David, Will yeah, he was amazing, man. That was it's, that was it's a wonderful place. It really yeah. is, especially around Honobi or Hanobi, depending on where you're from. Hanobi, Oklahoma. Debs, uh, we're gonna we're gonna get you an experience, even if it's at uh, David Lanier's property in uh, Alabama. But Matt, why don't you go with your cabbie goodbye since you're an honorary cabbie this evening? Uh, Rick, thank yes. you for coming on and sharing with everyone. Uh, I hate to do this to you guys, but Rick, I'd like to have you on my show sometime. Sure. That's okay with you. Sure. Uh, sure. I, I, we yeah. definitely got to compare notes. Like you've been uh, preaching to the choir all night, man. Uh, well, <laughs> it's a, it's a passion of mine, folks. Uh, I've been, I call it blessed. I mean, I could tell you story after story and it, it, they never get old because they're, they're so, I love it. 
I love going out on the expeditions. I love squatching. Something else is going to happen. And, uh, you know, people there, they, they freak out. They, they don't, they don't know how to take it. And, uh, that's good. It gives them a little seed. Maybe next time they'll, they'll be more receptive and, Instead of huddling and wanting to break and run. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Um, And well, you know, like I said, well, your book, um, Julie's put up your book like three or four times now. We're going to have it in the show notes for this show. So uh, Rick's book is called uh, uh, My uh, Bigfoot, My Encounters, Forest People, America's Tribe. Yeah, last Uh, week's tribe. And we will, um, we're going to get more into a more hypotheses with Rick when we do a part two. Uh, Matt Knapp is uh, Bigfoot Crossroads. If you are a cabbie uh, uh, fan or friend of ours, I recommend that you go on uh, and check out Bigfoot Crossroads with Matt Matthew Knapp. It's amazing. Uh, he, he just has a lot of experience. Uh, like Nathan, he's going to throw a funny in there when you least expect it. It's gonna, he's, gonna, he's got a great wit. And he has a great interview style. So, uh, Money Nathan, your goodbye to Mr. Uh, Mr. Taylor. Rick, uh, your story has—it's uh, just been fantastic to listen to. Your your passion is contagious, and I'm oh, yeah. so grateful for your willingness to share that with us. We are looking forward to part two. There's a slew of questions that I know we couldn't get to, and also from our audience as well. Uh, so we'll try to jot those down and carry those with us. But uh, thank you for exposing us to this other aspect of reality that that many of us just haven't experienced aren't aware of but i think it certainly does light our curiosity and 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 our passion as well so i really appreciate that and and look forward to our our future conversation thank you folks man it's it's been good it's been good and and guess what they are people that's what he's trying to tell you they are people rick thank you so much for answering my message uh and then oh, yeah. calling me i had a great conversation i had a great yeah. two days i had a great conversation with you yes. uh yes. last night and then the navajo ranger jonathan dover called me uh today also a bigfoot investigator a great conversation so i'll good tell deal. you what man life is damn good so, yes it is thank yes, you mr taylor namaste brother okay all right all right thank you for rick taylor for matt knapp our guest co-host and guest cabbie For Brother Nathan, for Debs, this is DJ saying peace out, one love. We'll see you down the road, Bob Marley. And as always, we're wondering what's up around the bend.